I forgot to well on this beautiful Sunday morning. We'll be in John chapter 14. We are in our third week of two weeks in this section of uh, verses 8 through 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am also in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and grace and majesty and might, Lord the sovereign dominion with which you rule the universe, Lord, and we praise you for that. And we thank you for the opportunity once again today to come together and to worship you, to pray to you, to hear from your word, and to sing to you. Lord, I do pray for these children who the church is supporting uh, through the Young Life Camp, Lord, for Leon and Eric and Vung, Lord, and we pray for their experience at the camp, that you would bless that and that they would be pointed to you. And we pray for that ministry. We pray for the the camp that they're going to and for the Young Life ministry that we support in Indianapolis, Lord, and the work that they do in reaching children in that community. Lord, we pray for Sam and for his family, Lord, as they continue to, to mourn the loss of his father. Lord, we thank you for the incredible testimony that he has to the greatness of the grace of your gospel, Lord. And we continue to pray for people through his ministry whom he touched and worked with, Lord, and that that will continue to ripple out and reverberate for generations to come, Lord. But we do continue to mourn with those who mourn. Lord, we also pray for Jackie Bauer and the health issues that she's going through. Lord, we pray for, for answers and for clarity and for healing for her. Lord, we also pray for her family just as they endure these difficult times with her, Lord, and we pray for strength for all of them. Lord, we pray for this church and continue to pray for this body of believers, that we would be a church that we continue to grow in our love for you, Lord, and our knowledge of you and our service to you. Lord, we pray for this community. Lord, we pray for people who don't know you and for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you bless our time as we study in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned a moment ago at the beginning of this passage, the Apostle Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how Jesus has responded to Philip. We've talked about some of the ways in which the Father is revealed in the world. 
God is revealed through Jesus. He is revealed through miracles. And in the passage today, our focus is that God is revealed through his people. And our focus today is on the work that we have as his people. And so our specific focus within this passage this morning is as Jesus continues to respond in verse 12 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And the first place I want to start this morning is by focusing on this idea of greater works. How will the one who believes in Jesus do greater works than Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus reveals the glory of God, lived a perfect life, and died for the sins of humanity on the cross. Yet, he says that the one who believes in him will do greater works than he did. That's quite the statement. But again, what does that mean? What are the greater works? It means the greater works of advancing the gospel. And ultimately, the reason why they're greater works is because of Jesus. At the end of verse 12, Jesus mentions part of the grounds for the greater works, where Jesus says, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus had a divine ministry in the world. But the ministry reaches its greatest fulfillment as a result of his death, resurrection, ascension, and glory. Jesus has gone to the Father. And he intercedes with us and for us to the Father. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, He is able to... Thank you, Carrie. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus advocates for us. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And... Jesus rules and reigns in heaven with the Father, Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He rules and reigns with the Father. So, greater works are done after the death, resurrection, ascension, and glorification of Christ because of what Christ has done and what he is doing now. And the reason why there will also be greater works is because Jesus himself is still working in the world. At the beginning of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus reigns, and he has entrusted his church to minister to the world and advancing the good news of the gospel. So, when he says that the one who believes in him will do greater works, 
The point is not that any individual Christian will do greater things, but a church of millions upon millions of people throughout the world committed to serving the mission of Christ and the name of Christ has a greater impact in the world because it is a spirit-empowered, gospel-centered ministry which is greater in scope. Jesus was one man. Again, the church is millions and tens and hundreds of millions of men and women. Jesus' ministry was limited to a small geographical area. The church is throughout the world. We've talked about this before, how Christianity is a global faith. Jesus had a ministry which lasted for about three years. The church has been going strong for almost 2,000 years. That's what it means that it is going to be greater things, greater in magnitude. And something else to consider. When Jesus says that there will be greater works, he's not giving a pep talk. He's making a statement of fact as the divine son of God and the almighty and all-knowing God. And in achieving the greater works for the world, Jesus has endowed those who believe in him with the Holy Spirit. He'll actually talk about that later on in this 14th chapter of John, John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We see it again in verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So again, the point when Jesus says that, the one who believes in him will do greater things than he is. It's not because we're so great. It's because he's so great. It's because God's mission for his people in the world is so great. And so it's the people of God doing the work of God in the world. And really, that's a wondrous reality that God has entrusted his people with the task of spreading his message in the world. The 20th century preacher D.T. Niles said that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. God could have ordained from eternity past that Jesus would be in the clouds all day, every day, telling people about himself. But that was not the divine plan. Instead, God uses men and women who are born again of the Spirit to do his work in sharing the good news of the gospel with fallen humanity. God has always used his people to minister to the world and to be light in the world. In the Old Testament, in the Exodus, God redeems the Israelites in order to bring his people to the land that he has promised to show his faithfulness. But it is also to bring Israel to a new land where they can live distinctively as God's chosen people. The ultimate way Israel was to do this was through keeping the law. In giving the law, God says in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was given the law to reflect the holiness of God, to an unholy world. They were to be set apart, as Leviticus 20.26 tells us. 
You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And through the gospel, we are called to be set apart and holy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A person who has had their lives changed by the gospel, that that should reflect how you live. A person who has the gospel, that that should reflect in our faith and how we interact with the rest of the world, shining as light. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. What happens to a person who has been born again, who is walking with the Lord? The gospel changes lives. And to reiterate, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it is God's people who work to serve God by ministering to a fallen and sinful world. All of this is to say that it is God's plan. Our purpose is to know God and to love God and to serve God. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is taking so long to come back? Obviously, the simplest answer is because it's not yet the will of God for him to return. And that's true. And that's significant. However, another reason is for the gospel to spread throughout the world, for the nations to hear the gospel, for more and more people to have the opportunity to respond in faith to the gospel. That it's an act of God's grace in the world. And we each get to be part of God's mission in the world. Do you ever feel like you were made to do something great? Do you ever feel like you were meant to have an impact? You were, and you are. That we are made to have an impact in the world for the Lord. You're here to serve the almighty creator of the universe. You're here to have an impact on people's lives for the gospel, which will affect their eternal souls. That we can try to build our own kingdoms. We can try to collect our own toys. We can try to control and manipulate the circumstances in our lives to feel secure and to make them how we want them to be. We can do those things. But we were made for more than those things. We were made to serve the mission of Christ in the world. And again, that includes... Sharing the gospel, making disciples, making Jesus known, serving the Lord. Once again, at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Matthew 28, okay, skip that verse, 28, 18 to 20. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples for all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All that I have commanded you. As a church, every person in the church is called to use the ways in which God has gifted us and equipped us 
for the purpose of serving God and building up his church. And that's why we're here. That's our mission in life. Knowing God and making him known. Being disciples who make disciples. Building up his kingdom. It's living for God and for his purposes. Because ultimately, those are the best purposes. We do that as a great task to serve a great savior. It can be intimidating for a number of reasons. I think our society has largely trained us not to talk about faith. There's the old saying, don't discuss religion and politics. I like the quote by G.K. Chesterton. I never discuss anything except politics and religion. There's nothing else to discuss. For many, talking about faith can be scary. It can be intimidating. Sometimes we can fear that they'll have questions if they ask that maybe we don't know the answer to. Sometimes we can feel like an individual might think we're weird, might not like us, and we want people to like us. Sometimes we can assume that a person is too far removed from God to really want to hear the message of the gospel. And all sorts of other reasons and challenges and fears that we can have. We can feel ill-equipped for the task sometimes. But it's not about how gifted or smart or talented we are. It's about the God whom we serve. There's a famous story from World War II. On a submarine called the USS Sea Dragon on the Pacific, a sailor named Daryl Rector came down with a case of appendicitis. The situation was dire. They did not have the ability to resurface and find a surgeon. According to NavalHistory.org, they were, were several days' journey away from the nearest hospital, thousands of miles away from the, next doc, from the nearest doctor. The sailor's temperature reached 106 degrees. His only hope was emergency surgery on the submarine. The surgery was performed by a pharmacist mate, which is basically a naval medic named Wheeler Lipes. He was not a doctor, and he had never done a surgery before. He was initially hesitant about doing the surgery, but at the urging of his commanding officer, and as the dying sailor agreed to have the surgery done, Lipes agreed to do the surgery 120 feet below sea level in a small room in the submarine. He used kitchen utensils for his medical instruments. Bent spoons were used to hold the man open while lights operated. Grain alcohol, which in World War II was used to help fuel torpedoes, was drained from one of the torpedoes and used to sterilize the instruments. The surgery was a success. And a few days later, the sailor he operated on was back at work. Considering Lipes and his lack of experience, lack of equipment, lack of a medical staff, it's amazing to consider what he achieved. And I tell that story to illustrate this point. We don't always feel perfectly equipped or up to the task that God has for us. But that makes it no less wonderful what God can accomplish through his people. Yes, again, God could personally reveal himself to every person in the world. But instead of that, he allows broken and fallen and imperfect people to spread his message to the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 calls the church 
the body of Christ, that we are the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And we are to reveal the goodness and love of God to the world. People in the Bible did not always feel up to the task. Perhaps the greatest figure of the entire Old Testament was Moses. In the book of Exodus, after Moses is called upon to serve God's purpose in redeeming Israel, Moses initially responds by giving a reason as to why God might want to pick someone else. Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. A lot of scholars think that Moses might have either had some sort of stutter or other speech impediment. Another example, first Kings, I'm sorry, first Samuel chapter 16. King Saul is going to be replaced as the king of Israel. And the prophet Samuel has been sent to Bethlehem to find the one who will be anointed king. And it's revealed to Samuel that it'll be one of the sons of Jesse. And he meets Jesse's sons, one after another, after another. Kind of reminds me of Cinderella when they're trying to find out whose foot fits in the glass slipper. Meets the sons. None of them are the person who are going to be anointed to be king. Samuel's like, Is this, are these all your kids? And Jesse says, oh, no, we have David, too. He's off taking care of the sheep. David was just kind of like the youngest runt of the family who wasn't even really being thought about for somebody who could possibly be king, but that was the man. The Apostle Paul had his challenges. Famously, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's on the screen, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of, surpassing, of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Scholars have long tried to speculate what the thorn was. We don't specifically know. But there are other places and other letters of Paul that he seems to indicate health issues. Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And there are other examples we can find in the Bible of people who did not outwardly appear to be the best person for the task. You know, it's interesting when I think about David. Again, he's this young, was Harper, you know, young musician, youngest of the family, replacing Saul, who's this tall strapping king, the person who you would envision to be a king. Sometimes people who have all the gifts and talents don't use those to the glory of God. Now, there are always reasons to think why we can't serve God or share the message of Christ with others. There are always challenges. There are always imperfect situations. 
And we are not called upon to wait until everything is perfect. We're called to serve the Lord today. We can always be learning and growing and preparing. But when we think that we need to be perfectly prepared or ready, that day will never come. So how do we do it? A few thoughts. First, we do it with how we live. That our lives are meant to be living testimonies to God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's important to actually have a life where we're walking with the Lord. We'll do it imperfectly because we're sinful. But to shine as light in a dark world. Second, it's imperative to be relational. In the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with all sorts of people. Obviously, he had his disciples. The people who were closest to him. We know he had a family. But we also see him taking time for people who had never met him. When he encounters the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. We see Jesus interacting with people who were sometimes his religious opponents. We see him sit down to meals with tax collectors and sinners. People who had different moral views than his. Some of these friendships even brought criticism. In Luke 7.34, Jesus says... The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus was criticized by some for the company that he kept. It can be easy in our social circles to get into routines where we have small talk and we have the same small talk, a lot of the same types of conversations with friends and family. But Jesus has given us the Great Commission. And he has told us in our passage this morning that greater works will be done by those who believe in him. That we get to be part of the greatest movement the world has ever known. Christ's church. Christ's body in the world. So we need to live in our faith. We need to be relational. Third, We need to have a missional mindset. Missions is not just for missionaries. Jesus says in 14, 12, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Every person who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is part of that. That we are his church and his people who will do greater works than he in the world. At the end of the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, I am with you always until the end of the age. It is a divinely appointed, divinely sustained ministry in the world. Fourth, we do it. We minister to people through having hearts that are broken for the sin and the lostness that is in our world. That our world has fallen and is dying in sin. 
in that we have the one message that brings salvation. We have the one antidote to the, to the disease of eternal death. The message of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Again, it can be so easy to become complacent, to go through the motions, to get into routines, to be comfortable, to pursue work or hobbies. But it can be so easy along the way and in doing all of those things to lose sight of the reason as to why we're here. That we aren't here for ourselves. We're here to serve the Lord. That we don't have to put the pressure on ourselves like we need to save the whole world. But we are here to serve. And so here's my challenge this morning. To start with one person. One person in your life who's not a believer. And to be actively praying for that person. Praying for their soul. Praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Praying for conversations with them. Witnessing to them. Interacting with them. Investing in them. And that takes time. It takes commitment. It often takes more than one conversation. Certainly the gospel is powerful enough to pierce a person's heart in one conversation. But oftentimes, that's not what happens. Sometimes it takes time. I think that's another reason why personal evangelism can be so hard, that it takes time. That we don't always get instant results. We don't always get the results that we want. It usually takes more than just talking about Jesus. It also takes actually being in a person's life and being there for them and loving that person and knowing that person and their lives and their family and caring about them. But for us to each have one person who we're going to be faithfully attempting to reach with the good news. And I'm not saying if if somebody is thinking I've got four or five people like that, I'm not saying to, to scale the number down. But my concern is so often, it can be so easy to have zero people in our lives who are seriously and sincerely pursuing with the gospel. So the challenge is to just to start with one person. And if you don't have anyone like that in your life, to find that person. And if you do have that person, to reach out to them, to give them a call, to have them over for lunch, to be relational. To be missional. To have a heart to share the good news. To the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you. That you use us. To herald your gospel message to the world. Lord, that that is a privilege that we have. To have the opportunity and sharing in that. Lord, I pray again for this community, for people in our lives, people we interact with. Lord, it can be so daunting and difficult sometimes. But I pray that we would have a desire to reach people and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.